Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Changemaking Podcast with Chloe Mestagi. Each episode will introduce an area of technology that needs work and highlight the changemakers working on it. Join Chloe and guests as they tap into their passion about equity and rights for all. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to another episode of the Change Making Podcast on ITSP Magazine. And today we're going to cover mental health and especially in cybersecurity. And with me, I have my wonderful friend, Ryan Louie, who is a psychiatrist. But you may have heard of him back in, I don't know, like for some time. He's been talking at conferences, especially at RSA conference about mental health and cybersecurity. And I'm so excited to have Ryan join because he's one of the few folks that I know in this industry that's trying to make a difference and really trying to get organizations to be on board for better practices in mental health. So Ryan, welcome and thank you for being on the podcast. Hello, Chloe and uh, ITSP Magazine. And thank you so much for this uh, chance to, uh, uh, to talk with you. And, uh, and thank you for all your work and leadership in the in the space of uh, hackers and cybersecurity and infosec and uh, uh, taking care of people's mental health. I think you've done really great work. Thank you. Much appreciated. So Ryan, let's first talk about how did you even get into, you know, cybersecurity as a psychiatrist? What was that connection? How did you discover that connection and that passion to start giving talks about it? Yeah, I think um, when I was thinking about mental health and about security, I fundamentally started to see a pattern in some of the patients that I've been uh, working with. I worked previously with a lot of the, the homeless population in San Francisco. And one common theme that came out was that in order for people to feel safe for their mental health, for their well-being and for their health, they had to be secure. They had to have safety. They had to know where to go for help. They had to know where they were going to stay the night and who to go to for assistance or services. So I started to think what everyone needs is that net of safety, that environment of feeling psychologically safe to feel at ease and of well-being. So I started looking at other fields in terms of what we can learn um, as an industry from the field of medicine into other industries to see what we can learn from each other. And I've always been interested in tech and it seemed like uh, the combination of technology and how people use it really provided a new uh, sort of way to see how mental health uh, um, is affected by technology and the way that people use it. And that is so critical and important for people to understand. I feel like the pandemic in some way it brought mental health to the forefront. I know that uh, when we started talking about it, it was in the beginning of the pandemic. It was at Besides SF, we were on that panel, mental health. And I just remember how people are like, wow, this is the first time that I'm hearing people talking about mental health at a conference. Um, and that was one of the things that I think was a pivotal moment at that time, because suddenly more and more people started realizing that it hasn't been really discussed as much as we wish that it had been discussed because entering the pandemic, 
suddenly all these organizations started realizing the importance of mental health and how they need to incorporate mental health as part of their organization's best practices. So Ryan, have you seen a change or a shift in organizations when it comes to mental health um, bef- you know, now versus like how it was before the pandemic? That's a wonderful question, Chloe. And as you mentioned, uh, back in that time in the east side San Francisco, I think it was just right at the cusp of when uh, the COVID-19 pandemic was, was uh, uh, coming and uh, getting into news and, and becoming uh, a major, major health concern. And what the COVID-19 pandemic uh, has done is that for good reasons and for bad reasons in terms of preparedness and of various uh, organizations and the people, their readiness. It put everyone on the main stage all of a sudden, whether or not they were prepared already or whether or not they were uh, um, thinking about this for a long time. It allowed all these things that were actually fundamentally already there, mental health issues, technology issues, the ways of work, how people interact with other people. It was all fundamentally there. But what COVID-19 caused to happen was that the curtain got revealed, everything just was out, ready or not, that people had to do things to survive and to to make uh, ends meet and to to be well. So I think um, that set the stage for a rapid set of acceleration in all things. And and as an industry, I think everyone has gotten to be in a better place overall, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of uh, things that need to be improved on, including what organizations can do. Now, um, now overall, I, I think in terms of leadership and organizations, the main thing that they can do is that reflect on themselves about how they would feel as a person, thinking at a very personal level, at all levels of leadership, and to apply that towards other people and their organization. I think if people can translate that individual mindset of caring and empathy and well-being to the greater whole, I think that's where it starts. Leadership at the top, uh, proposing and causing that that culture to permeate throughout the organization. I think that helps out. I think in some ways that we people in like in information security and IT team, sometimes we have managers that really try to keep separate from uh, getting to know their employees and and also like developing that empathy part. Is there any tools or techniques that uh, managers can utilize to practice empathy in the workplace and especially with their team and their employees? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Chloe. I always think back to a time when I was in a medical student uh, doing a clinical rotation in uh, one of my clerkships. I was just one of several medical students in, on the team, and it was on my first day. And uh, on that very first orientation meeting, we gathered in the circle, the head attending physician talked to medical students, the resident physicians, the interns, the other staff. And we all just kind of talked and he laid down the ground rules. He said, basically, we were part of a team. We are going to uh, serve our patients and help out each other. And that was the main goal, that we were to give good patient care. And that meant that if anyone needed help whatsoever, they would just go up to them and say, hey, you know, my, my plate's kind of full. I need some help with this uh, uh, work or this, this caseload or, or whatever they needed. He laid it out just right off the bat, right at the, at the orientation. 
to, pro to protect everyone, to create that layer of safety by default. And he said that no one would get a negative mark. They weren't going to get a bad recommendation. It's not going to appear on some evaluation or, or comments. It was just, we were part of the team. And that made a huge difference. Everyone actually excelled. They did uh, better. They were more uh, uh, at ease. And, uh, and I believe that they, they gave uh, better patient care. And do you think there are any practices that managers or leadership can utilize to reduce burnout within their team or to help employees if they're suffering from burnout? Yeah, that's a, that's a really big, uh, big problem, both in terms of uh, medicine and also all other fields, including cybersecurity and information security. Burnout is a very complex type of issue, and it's not a single one entity, nor is it a single type of entity and, and, and condition for, every, uh, for any given person. Different people feel it in different ways, and different people have a, a spectrum or a, a, or a range of tolerance of what they consider uh, burnout or not. But in general, as with any type of condition, we like to look at the root causes of, of why something is happening. Of course, we could have uh, things that uh, relieve stress, such as uh, uh, support and activities and things to help people relax. But fundamentally, I think burnout happens because there's something deep down at a, at a very core level that makes people lose that enthusiasm, that passion for work, that feeling of emotional drainage. We want to go back to those fundamental pieces in the organization and really find out what is it that is eating people? What is it that's causing people to feel this way? And I think if we go into those core pieces of an organization to change it from within at that level, that's how we could start to undo burnout. And then what are some of the signs that leaders can notice with employees if they're starting to enter the burnout realm or that are already burned out at this point? Yeah. I think um, as a psychiatrist, my favorite question is, I always ask everyone, how do you feel? How are you feeling? How are you doing? I think managers and leadership and, and coworkers and anyone in an organization can ask that, but not just to ask it as a, a pleasantry or just sort of a question, not expecting an answer, but to genuinely want to know how is a person feeling? It means being present, it means following up with not just the question, but showing in other ways about supporting a person, whether it's uh, helping out on a task, doing more than one check-in uh, at different times, just kind of being there for people. I think that type of action collectively over time builds a trend of creating trust. And I think that's where we want to go. You want to be able to create that trust and meaning and sense of well-being. Because once people feel trusted, they feel that there is security. And then once they feel that, they feel safe and they're able to express what they truly feel. And that's what everyone would like to have. Yeah, it, you definitely find managers that, that they'll say that they trust people, but in reality, like some actions such as micromanaging or uh, keeping an eye on their employees, like there are, there are companies out there that have been watching their employees remotely um, by placing software onto, you know, their 
their work devices to turn on their mic or the camera on at any time to make sure that they're actually working or being able to track what's on their screen. And it's always one of those things where, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, trust and bringing trust forward, that also means that we can't do those things because I feel like when, like you said earlier, is like whenever there is the sense of no trust in the workplace it becomes a stressful situation. It also becomes kind of a workplace where people don't look forward to attending. Um, and that I feel it can also end up developing burnout in the end because they're constantly having to figure out how do I feel safe? How do I feel like I belong? Absolutely, Chloe. That's a wonderful point. That idea of having that sense of trust in a working with their employer and of their supervisors in terms of their policies and, and the actions that they are seeing and, and, and the messaging and the culture, all of that, that comes into play. I think certainly, you know, uh, there are always a wide range of situations that require certain policies and uh, some that people agree with and some uh, that people don't agree with. But I think the most important thing is to have that collective group, transparent, open conversation about why something needs to be done that way. Leaders can always talk with their team and say, you know, we understand that this is what we want to do ideally, but in this case, I have to do it in this way because this is the context, this is the backstory, this is the situation that we're in. And let them know uh, ahead of time, how long is it gonna last? What, what, what kind of factors will come in that will allow it to change? How will people's feedback be incorporated into the decision? Having that open, ongoing conversation, not just as an announcement or as a single meeting, but have that ongoing two-way conversation throughout the process. That's where uh, trust can be uh, built and to have that conversation of feeling trustworthy. Yeah, definitely on that front of having a proper feedback loops where, you know, managers, um, they basically, they listen to how things could be better or improved on internally and then taking actions to make those things come to life in reality. I think that's how some companies, they start doing these like no meetings once a week idea or having, you know, a monthly day off um, for everyone on the team because they were hearing these requests come in or also these requests to have more flexibility on their schedule so they don't start work at like 8 a.m. instead like at 10 um, because they needed that extra time for like child care. Um, and this that seems to be much more part of a conversation now because of the pandemic. It's really created this sense and push where now we're all speaking up saying like, don't where burnout as a badge of honor, it's not. Um, it's also about, you know, you are not your job. You are a person outside your job that the things in life that matter the most isn't about work. It's about you, what makes you happy. And it's nice to hear these conversations now. And I was wondering, what are some great practices that people can utilize to make sure that they have more of that work and life balance? Because I believe it, it was from one of our conversations where it really like dawned on me, the reason that burnout is so much apparent in our industry is because there's, it's very hard to have a work and a life, personal life balance because we're on call 24 seven all around the clock every single day. 
So I'm curious to know what are some practices that people can utilize to really catch if they're starting to go in that burnout realm? Absolutely, uh, Chloe. Uh, you brought up a great point that in terms of burnout, it's the idea that in very high stress, high performing uh, expectation kind of locations and, and types of work environments such as uh, uh, cybersecurity, uh, information security, and medicine, and many other fields, frankly, that it's the idea that everybody wants to do a great job. Everybody wants to perform. Nobody wants to uh, show weakness or to show that they're not able to do the job uh, for many different reasons. Maybe they're worried about their job security. They don't want to let down their team. Uh, they want to be viewed as a contributing, very useful, high-performing individual. So there's a big pressure to perform in that way. But like you mentioned, Chloe, the conversation is definitely changing. The idea that always work, 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 work all the time with no breaks and uh, not, uh, not doing any personal care, that's actually seen as a negative now. And I think what organizations can do is to reinforce that message of having people to take care of themselves and to send that message through the culture of the organization and reinforce it in different ways. Um, I'm not sure how this would uh, uh, be implemented, but if there's some kind of milestone or metric of performance that somehow measured a person's ability to take care of themselves. For example, mandatory usage of vacation time, mandatory taking time off, having leadership from the top provide that, 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 that blanket cover at the top saying, hey, we are going to uh, have this designated time off for, uh, for everyone and you must use it and it's an expectation and it actually is a performance marker. Something like that, something to, to make people feel rewarded and respected and, frankly, psychologically safe to take time off and to take care of themselves. Those are great. Um, definitely some good pointers there. I know that you and I, we've kind of talked about here and there about you know, post-COVID stress disorder. And I was wondering if you can share with the listeners a little bit about it and why are... Or should I say, why should we care about this at this point um, and how this may become the next trend that we're seeing um, during this pandemic or even after the pandemic? Yes, during this uh, pandemic, um, there are a lot of things that people are learning about mental health and the impacts on their daily lives from the pandemic and the, the repercussions that are being caused by uh, this uh, situation. I think everyone across all industries, uh, whether it's the restaurant industries, people taking care of their families at home, um, uh, people on the front lines of the pandemic, uh, people working in infrastructure and everyone in between, everyone is affected by this COVID-19 pandemic in some type of way. And what we're starting to see is, although the data is, is, is still evolving, it's an evolving body of knowledge, what we're seeing is that there is a definite impact in terms of mental health caused by uh, various elements of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's things like fatigue, stress, isolation, um, uh, socially uh, distance type of situations and the lack of contact, uh, working from home, uh, where boundaries are blurred between work and personal life. Um, the idea of, of hearing about news, of 
the pandemic and of, of, of the severity and cases and, and various types of media portraying uh, and reporting on COVID-19 news. And, and there are, are cases where um, there's news about um, uh, fatalities and of, and of illness and, and people's friends and families and, and, and perhaps even themselves uh, suffering from uh, the effects and of illness from this uh, COVID-19. So certainly all of these uh, situations and conditions are having an impact on mental health. And we're starting to see some trends that suggest a type of post-pandemic stress disorder, that there's ideas of, of this type of mental health uh, impact, depression, anxiety, stress, that is secondary or caused by this uh, COVID situation. It's not an official type of mental health uh, illness or condition, but it's certainly uh, appearing to be that way. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to, to hear this. And also it's very important for employers to also know of this as well. I think more and more we get it out there, the better. So I hope that that's what this podcast does is like really spread this out a little bit further. Um, so I have some other questions that are around, I don't know if you would say mental health, but I do get this question quite a bit and maybe you can answer it, which is um, there are folks that are, they come off as extroverts, but they've now recognized that they're more like introverts because of the pandemic and they've asked me, is this a, is this caused by burnout in a sense where they've gone so burned out being around, you know, they were so used to being around people and then they got used to not being around people because of the pandemic. And now when they're around people, they feel like they've, all their energy is drained and they cannot look for, they like look so forward to coming back home to get like recharge their own batteries. Is this a symptom of burnout or is this something that you know, we're discovering more about ourselves or is this some sort of behavior that we've picked up because of the pandemic? That is a really interesting question, Chloe. The idea that when this COVID-19 pandemic uh, situation and, and pandemic started, that there were different types of manifestations of people's mental health and the impact on that that were uh, presenting and people were starting to be aware of. Um, overall, uh, from patients uh, who I've worked with uh, just uh, over uh, time uh, during this pandemic, I've seen both sides of the spectrum. I've seen cases where um, certainly with the COVID-19 pandemic stress that their symptoms became worsened. Everything was intensified. So if there was major depression or, or anxiety that was already there, it became worse tenfold. If there were uh, uh, interpersonal relations and difficulties working in, in, in between uh, people, that somehow that, that, that level of intensity also became uh, more severe. Uh, there were cases such as that. But I've also seen the opposite of it. Some people who felt high stress in these type of environments where they had to uh, go out and meet people or to be in contact with the certain locations and people there, uh, the pandemic, because of social uh, distancing and isolation and lockdowns, all of a sudden it removed that uh, type of stressor. And of course, they might have uh, experienced different types of stressors, but there was a, there's a group of patients who actually paradoxically found out that they felt more calm and, and relief of symptoms. 
So I've seen both sides of the story. So uh, I think you brought up a great point that you know, certainly burnout can be a part of this, but also I think we are experiencing as a society the changing of the landscape that is revealing different things, just like what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, that when COVID-19 came onto the communities, everyone, whether they were prepared or not, were thrust into this new situation on, on the front stage to uh, adjust and to survive and to make uh, ends meet. I think the same thing is happening right now. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating is to like I've I've talked to like my close friends, my family members, and I've seen changes happen in their life because of the pandemic, such as like they used to be very, very sociable at the beginning and now they're less so, or it's the opposite where now my it's I find it hilarious. So one of my close friends is completely is very, very shy person, like very shy, um, and is very much an introvert too, but shy as well. And because of the pandemic and having to stay at home, it changed him in a way where he just wants to be around people. It's like, he wants to change his personality. So now he's like constantly going in the office. He's constantly meeting new people because he's trying, he doesn't want to have that old behavior pattern anymore. So I feel like a lot of us in the pandemic, we are, we're finding, we're having to dive into ourselves and really investigate ourselves and see what parts of us do we want to improve on? What parts of us do we not need anymore or who we are even deeper inside? And so it's, it's so fascinating to see how this pandemic has played out for everyone. And I was wondering if you don't mind sharing, have you noticed this even within yourself or your friends and family as well? Certainly, I think um, with this uh, pandemic and for organizations and at the individual level, it's definitely made us prioritize what's truly important in, in, in our lives, uh, uh, whether it's because we just physically can't do everything or, or certain things are not possible at this time because of the pandemic. It really refined the way in which uh, we do work and in the way that we carry out and make choices at each day in terms of uh, what's really truly important. Um, I almost think about it as like the kidney. So the kidney's function is to kind of like uh, uh, keep the, the, the blood uh, systems clear and keeping keeping uh, uh, getting rid of the bad stuff and keeping the good stuff. But how the kidney works essentially is it's not really sure what's all the incoming stuff that's, uh, that's coming into the kidney. So the kidney does this, it just dumps everything out and then it keeps back the good stuff, it keeps back the protein, it keeps back the things it wants to keep, and everything else just is, is, uh, is uh, you know, uh, let go and uh, uh, going down the drain. So, um, so it's something like that. It's that idea of rebuilding that filter, knowing what it is that we truly want, and both at the individual level and also at the organizational level. I think for me personally, um, you know, it's I'm always still trying to find more, uh, you know, balancing the many things to do and to be more efficient in terms of, of work and, uh, and of other things to do to be uh, more mindful and better use of time um, and to understand what the, uh, the meaning of time. So that part has been new for me. So uh, always uh, refining that, uh, knowing about what's important and, and being okay to change priorities if, if things are different. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating moment, I think, in, in humankind, I, said, I guess, around the world about how much we have changed from the pandemic 
and you were you were right earlier about like there was no survival guide in other words how to be like but now we're kind of like okay so this is this I'm learning more about myself and I have to face these things and I think it's really important because in many ways now we're talking about mental health more I know in a lot of cultures and and also in organization it's kind of a taboo to talk about mental health but yet now I feel like many of us are there wanting to have that conversation, also talking with others about mental health and encouraging one another to seek therapy or to you know, meditate, to do yoga, to find ways how to be more reflective and also to be more in touch with our, our self-awareness. Um, speaking on that front, have you noticed that there's been more of a sense of an increase of normalization about the conversation of mental health? Absolutely, Chloe. There's been, of course, we're not quite there where we want to be as a society in terms of talking about mental health, but definitely big steps forward in accepting and normalizing mental health. Just because if we look around us every day in this COVID-19 pandemic, that there is mental health stress everywhere. It's, it's a known. Everyone, everyone realizes that and, and everyone feels it in themselves. And it's a, it's a very normal type of way to feel this type of uh, situation. And so with that, I think it really set the stage to have an open, more, more uh, candid, more transparent, more genuine kind of conversation about mental health and what we can do as a society. It also means that organizations can uh, set the, 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 the standards in terms of uh, building that culture within their organizations having senior leadership and people all across the organization to carry out that, that feeling of well-being and, and that culture of openness and to really uh, carry it with them uh, in their own lives and with their groups. So certainly, I think there's been a change uh, towards that direction. And then, Ryan, my next question for you is... What are some practices that you want to see in the near future when it comes to organizations really grasping mental health and providing for employees? Yeah. I like to tell everyone that uh, you don't have to be a psychiatrist to talk about mental health. You don't have to be a mental health professional or, or anyone with any specific training. Why? Because deep down, everyone is a human being and we have that built into our DNA already. Mental health is part of the specs, you know, the, the specifications, you know, it's included. It's, it's in the package already. You're, it's part of being a human being. And because of that, we don't need any particular permission to be able to talk about it or to express views about it, which means that uh, people should feel uh, free to go in any type of form that they feel comfortable sharing with and to be able to speak about it in the way that they feel they feel they like to. And that their stories and narratives and their, and their insights are important and we are in this together. And then we all look at this, this, this question about mental health as a group and in, in, with inclusivity and uh, to, to learn from each other. So I think that's uh, one important thing to, to, to have as a mindset, that feeling of openness that everyone can contribute and not only does everyone contribute, but everyone's contribution is valued and it is appreciated. 
Absolutely love that part. Um, Another question I have for you is what practices do you recommend for people to become more self-aware? I know for myself, I do a to-do list. I also journal. Um, but what are some other practices that people can uh, take on to get more in touch with themselves and have that self-awareness? I think there's many different types of ways. And, uh, you know, a journal is certainly a great way to do it. Sometimes people take walks and just kind of think in their mind. Sometimes people jot down notes here and there. Sometimes people just call up a friend or a family member, just kind of chat and use that as their sort of like a way to uh, check in with themselves. The most important thing is to find something that feels natural, that feels comfortable, that feels trustworthy and safe. And there's no specific one formula on what's better, what's uh, uh, what works, because everyone's kind of different. But the most important thing is that just like a, a therapy or a medication or a treatment or news that you hear about or a book you read or media that you consume, everything physically and literally becomes a part of yourself. So you want to be able to feel good about the things that you take in within yourself. Uh, something like uh, the foods you eat or, or the things that you consume. It becomes a part of yourself. So you want to feel comfortable. You want to feel natural. You, feel, you want to feel that it's not much effort to be able to uh, uh, you know, keep track of something like that. So having that system in place uh, is useful, but it's based on trust. You know, you don't have to find a whole bunch of people to uh, contact or, or to have in this network. You know, it could just be a you know, small core group of people and maybe for different purposes and different situations uh, to have that network of trust so that you could look out for each other and look out for yourselves. So having that group of people around you to have that active two-way conversation and, you know, it could be of different frequencies, but there will always be that connection. You want to keep those connections and keep active. So the next question I have for you is one that's widely talked about these days, which is about social media and the use of social media and how that may impact mental health. And I was wondering what your take is on social media. If you have any tips or suggestions for people to follow if they're active on social media or if there are research out there that we should probably look into, any of that would be wonderful. Yeah, I think we've uh, heard a lot of news uh, recently about the negative uh, mental health impacts of social media. And certainly, there's a, a lot of negative things out there, but there's also the good. So it's a really, truly a balance of both. I think I see social media as something as uh, similar to a medical procedure or a medication. And I see it this way. There's a risk and there's a benefit to everything. And what we have to do is understand why we are using this particular item, what we expect from it, and why do we truly want to use this item? I think if we understand those types of, of, of things, it'll help us make better choices. And to always feel that you don't have to always keep your initial decision the same. You could always say, hey, you know, I've decided I have a new decision. I'm going to change my decision and do something else. But you always want to be informed about the risks the benefits and to be able to modify your decision when you learn more and understand more and have that flexibility. So for example, with social media, you might say, hey, I like it for these reasons, but I don't like it for those reasons. And during this time, I need social media for these types of reasons. And that is the reasons uh, why I will be using it. But once those criteria are not there anymore, then you have a system in place to understand, hey, is this still something I want to use or how is it affecting me? 
What's the downside? What's the upside? We always have to look over that. What I is uh, when I when I'm sort of uh, talking about is informed consent. You want to give yourself informed consent to be able to consume the only the media that you that you look at. It sounds kind of funny giving yourself consent to use something, but in a sense, it's it's actually what we're doing. Every time we uh, take a medication or receive treatment, you know, people sign forms and say, hey, you know, this is what we're going to agree on and this is why we want to do it. Same thing for media and social media and all types of uh, news and information. We're giving a consent for ourselves to be able to use this and to uh, enjoy its benefits. Excellent. And Ryan, last question I have for you, which is, what are some tips that you have for our listeners to try to make a difference when it comes to mental health? What can they do to help the situation? Yeah, I think, um, I think as a great example, Chloe, uh, what you're doing here with ITSP Magazine and building that conversation, getting the word out, staying engaged with uh, the, the public and with the community and being open, providing that safe space to be able to have people come to talk, to come forward and to participate in different types of ways and ways that they feel comfortable. Um, I think it's really important to have that network of trust. So of course, you know, there's different people who serve in different ways, family, friends, coworkers, but also if anyone needs help, you know, they can uh, keep in touch with their doctors and their healthcare providers and let them know how they're doing. Always maintain that communication with the people that are helping them and also as a helper for other people. So to keep that uh, always going. I've always felt that um, cybersecurity and all kinds of security actually starts with security in the mind and being uh, safe in the in mental health point of view. So if you keep uh, security and safety in mind, I think that's a great place to, to start. Absolutely love that. Thank you, Ryan, so much for being on the podcast. And thank you for sharing these wonderful tips and, and also the latest in the forefront of the mental health world. Um, if anyone wants to get a hold of Ryan, his DMs are open um, and his information will be listed next to the podcast. Thank you again, Ryan. And thank you, everyone. And do stay safe. Thank you so much, Chloe. And thank you, everyone at ITS Magazine. Please take care and keep well, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Changemaking Podcast with Chloe Mestagi. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.